Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Rufus who loved writing stories. Little Rufus dreamed of being a writer, so he stood in English literature. Don't tell him that he shouldn't have seen my even though it's true, even though he is second worst writer in the world, second worst writer in the world, second worst writer in the world, the second worst writer in the world. He's so mediocre, he can't even claim to be the worst writer. So if you think about it, he's actually worse than the worst writer in the world. This week's plot so far is by Katie Cisneros. Hooray! Yeah. Jenny got murdered. Anne got murdered. Buck got murdered. Catherine got murdered. Luckily for absolutely no one, Gret Binchleaf, covert Carlos protector and former Arthur, is on the case. So, we're on stage three, the jolly boat trip. Chapter four, from Roulette Banker with Love. Meanwhile, in the casino, which an overnight ferry like this might have actually, because I once went from Hull to the Netherlands overnight, and that ferry had a small casino with a roulette wheel and a bunch of roulette bankers in posh clothes. So shut up if you think you know better, because you've taken the hour and a half ferry from Dover to Calais, and that didn't have a roulette wheel on it, you twit. Yeah, or a roulette banker. <laughs> anyway, meanwhile, in the casino, Rafe Dix had bet all 12 of his buses <laughs> and his bag of money on Red 3. <laughs> What in the name of cheesy ass are you doing? Asked Ken Parker, wrapping his cape around himself again as though it could protect him from reality, like Batman's cape sometimes protects him from bullets. Mm. I'm going for the big win. If my number comes up, I'll have 420 buses. <laughs> then, if I let it ride, I'll have 14,700 buses. <laughs> what do you need 14,000 buses for? Rafe looked uncertain for a moment. Then grinned. I'll glue them together and make a bridge to Spain. <laughs> then people in Plymouth will be able to walk to Spain through my buses. Mm. Couldn't you have kept one? So in case you lose, we'd still be able to get back home again. <laughs> Do you want my bridge to Spain to be too short? Do you want all those poor Plymouth blokes to fall into the sea and drown because you wanted me to play safe? Oh dear, said Ken. Mr Haining, I think Rafe may have finally lost his mind. The buses have gone to his head. Hmm. But Tom Haining didn't answer, because Tom Haining had chosen to faint again. No. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Ken waved at the nearest bar wench. <laughs> Excuse me, yes, you, the bar banker. <laughs> oh, sir. Yes, sir. What can I be doing for you today, sir? <laughs> I wonder if you could ask one of the reception bankers. <laughs> Receptionist, sir. Reception bankers, yes. Ask one of them to send a couple of luggage bankers. <laughs> Porters, sir. Luggage bankers, yes. To pick up Tom Haining and go and put him in his bath. Of course, sir. I'll go straight away. Oh, and you'd better give them this bag of money to empty all over him. <laughs> he likes to wake up under a lot of money, you see. We'll see what I can do, sir, said the bar wench, taking the bag of money and leaving in a great hurry. As Ken turned back to the wheel, the roulette banker cast the ball. <laughs> red three, red three, come on, red three, Rafe pleaded. 
Black 70 and <laughs> called the roulette banker. Oh, fuck, <laughs> said Rafe. You lost the bus again, didn't you? Can, Did I, say, you? can I say, sorry to interrupt there, but like, if I'd have um, been playing that round, then I would have won. Because when I play roulette, I always play a spread around um, the, the uh, Black 17, Red 20 Do you? Um, okay. area, yeah. So I, we're so in tune that I, I helped you win. Yep. You're probably there as well. I mean, you're not, the story's not about you, so we don't no. see you win. But while Rafe's losing his buses, you'd just win a million pounds. Oh, I'd, win all, I'd win his buses. <laughs> That's how roulette works, right? You get what the other people bet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even though I only put a pound on it. <laughs> you've, got, you've got 12 buses yeah. now. Hooray! You lost the bus again, didn't you? Did you learn nothing last night? Yeah, I learned that when you lose, you've got to bet bigger. And then, when you win, you end up with more buses than you ever dreamed of. <laughs> and a load of gold crabs for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's the lesson <laughs> you should... Last night, I lost all my money, so I bet the bus, and then I won. That's not quite <laughs> how it happened today. I've lost all my money and all my buses, so I need to bet something that's even more valuable to me. Perhaps you should sit down and have a glass of water. So what's more valuable to me than 12 buses and a bag full of money? Rafe, please. My legs. <laughs> I'll bet my legs. Imagine that. I'll win 70 legs. <laughs> then, if I let my legs ride, I'll have 2,450 legs. I'll be like Spider-Man. <laughs> I'll be like Spider-Man. I'll be able to scuttle up walls and spin webs and fly to space. Who needs diamond-encrusted crabs when you've got two and a half thousand legs? Hey, you, blackjack banker, have you got a saw I can borrow? I need to cut my legs off. <laughs> but before Rafe could saw his own legs off and place them on red three... Everyone around the roulette wheel was stunned into silence by the arrival of a 600-kilogram hippo in a school uniform. <laughs> right, everyone who's on the Rafe Dick's bus tour, listen to me, shouted the hippo. Who are you? asked Rafe. Who am I? Who am I? The hippo looked quite affronted. I'm Gret Binchleaf, the infamous investigator who solved the case of the missing zookeeper and the unusually fat lion. Why are you pretending to be a schoolboy and hanging out with a load of kids? That's a bit suspect, isn't it? Hey, I'm not the one who woke up covered in money in a bathroom with two other men and a six-year-old boy, <laughs> said Gret. And people who live in glass houses shouldn't bum kids. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of house you live in, you still shouldn't <laughs> bum kids. But it's worse if you do it in a glass house, because... Actually, no, it doesn't matter... What kind of house you live in? Stop bumming kids in your house! <laughs> uh, it is worse in a glass house because people can see you do it. Well, maybe that's better because they stop you. Maybe it's worse in a brick house because then you know, no one knows it's happening. Yeah, but At least in yeah, a glass exactly. house the police can what, come and stop but you. What the police don't know can't hurt them. <laughs> Mr Binchleaf, have you made any headway with Jenny's tragic death? Asked Ken Parker. It's Jenny and Anne's tragic death now. Oh, and Buck and Catherine. Who are Buck and Catherine? <laughs> Nigel and Derek found them in a TV room, so pretty much all the children have seen a dead body now. Well, have you made any headway with the, oh dear, the four deaths? I've made more than headway. I've made head all the way. <laughs> I've solved the case. Yay. And I want everyone to meet me downstairs in five minutes so I can reveal myself. I mean, my deduction. I can reveal my deduction. <laughs> 
Gret stormed out like a fat storm with a hat on. <laughs> well, I suppose we'd better go, said Ken Parker. Where's Carlos? He's over by the fruit machines. Hey, maybe he's won a load of buses again. But they soon discovered that Carlos had not won any buses. In fact, Carlos had won only one thing while his adult supervisors were getting drunk and playing roulette. Carlos had won deadness. <laughs> because Carlos was thoroughly dead. And just like all the others, Carlos's body had been completely and utterly... Here, you did say it was dead lucky, said Gret Binchley, poking his head around the door later at a parting quip. Also, I forgot to mention, we're meeting in the bookshop downstairs, next to the detective books. And get all the others, would you? I've done enough running around this boat. Five bleeding minutes! Chapter 5. Catch, Binchty Binch. <laughs> Ten minutes later, everyone was in the bookshop. Ten only minutes later? Ten only minutes later. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll change it. Ten only minutes later, <laughs> everyone was in the bookshop, except Gret Binchleaf, who was late. <laughs> Ken Parker had Tom Haining's unconscious body slung over his shoulder, which only made him look more like Batman. Mm. Rafe Dix was trying to cut his legs off with a butter knife. <laughs> Claire was reading a book about orangutans, and Alison... <laughs> Alison was sitting in a chair, weeping quietly. Nigel and Derek were sat together, their faces still wet from crying over their lost friends, probably. Yeah. Marcus and Amy were holding hands, silently. Things hadn't been comfortable between them since Marcus had asked her, Would you like to nibble my boner? <laughs> and Amy had thought he meant, Would you like to eat my skeleton? <laughs> All the jokes. <laughs> There's nothing else. For it's you. okay. It's a good. It's a good joke that will yeah. never grow okay. old. Because skeletons can't grow old. Because <laughs> they can. I mean, they can, but no, you. Are. No, no, they I can't. See what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul was rearranging the books in the religion section so that all those which weren't about Christianity were on fire. <laughs> Tommy, Danzy and Brent were trying to buy the bookshop from the bookshop banker <laughs> so they could turn it into a Kendall mint cake and crisp shop. And Miss Stone was looking at the ceiling nervously. Where are the twins? She asked flatly. I haven't seen them since we boarded, said Ken Parker. Where's the swimming pool on this boat? Said Miss Stone, <laughs> flatly. I think it's one floor above us. Yes, if, if I remember the map correctly, it must be directly above our heads. Yeah. Oh dear, said Miss Stone, flatly. Flatly. Right, said Gret Binchleaf as he burst in, like an unusually large balloon that was full of idiot. <laughs> Time to reveal who did the murders. Gret pointed at the five dead bodies on the floor. Anne, Jenny, Catherine, Buck and Carlos, he said. They all have one thing in common. <laughs> what? asked Miss Stone. They're dead, yeah. said Gret. <laughs> and they all seem to have died in the same mysterious way, added Ken Parker. Look at them. They've all been completely and utterly... Yeah, I think we can all see what they've all been completely and utterly, interrupted <laughs> <Yeah>. Gret. <laughs> the question is, who had the motive... Who wanted all five of them dead? Who is consumed with jealousy of Carlos's money, of Catherine and Buck's intelligence, of Anne's unshakable confidence, of Jenny's huge and extremely <laughs> well-developed hairstyle? 
Well, said Ken Parker, I admit that Jenny's hair did sometimes make me feel bad about my own balding pate, but not enough to murder her. Mm. Not you, you pillock, said Gret. Then who? To answer that, we must enter the mind of a murderer. What is it that pushes someone to kill? How much impotent frustration must a person feel before they snap? For how long can you have your true nature suppressed by the people closest to you until you can no longer control yourself and seek bloody revenge? Mm. I don't know, said Ken. Oh, don't you? That's a shame. (laughs) Does anyone else know? Who teaches psychology? What about you, Miss Stone? Psychology is a science. Do you cover it in scientific studies? (laughs) Mr Binchleaf, do you know who did it or not? A smug smile placed itself on Gret's face. I know exactly who did it, he said, self-satisfiedly sitting down on one of the big, comfy bookshop armchairs, which made a terrible crunching, groaning sound as he did so, as if it were about to fall apart under his terrific weight. It's often the quiet ones you have to watch, said Gret. The small ones who never say anything, who are constantly ignored and told to shut up, who are left to quietly seethe and boil in frustration until they can take it no more and something in them breaks. You can't possibly mean, said Miss Stone. Alison? I do mean Alison because it was Alison. <laughs> Definitely. And what's more, she did it with some kind of space weapon, so she's probably an alien as well as a murderer. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous, said Ken Parker. I mean, she might have killed Anne. Well, well any of us might have killed Anne, but <laughs> she had no reason to kill the others. Are you a detecting expert? Do you teach detective studies? What about the twins? Don't you think they might have had something to do with it? Asked Miss Stone, flatly. They've been behind everything else that's ever gone wrong and they're suspiciously absent. No, it was Alison. (laughs) Then where are the twins? I don't know, probably dead somewhere. Who cares? (laughs) Hang on a minute, said Danzy. Where is Alison? Everyone looked around. At the bookshop banker. (laughs) At the shelves. At the bonfire of books that was getting a little out of hand over my pole. (laughs) She was here a minute ago, said Claire. Proof, Gret shouted. When she realised I'd got her number, she ran away. There's a name for that in a court of law. It's called guilt by reason of legging it when the rosers arrive. (laughs) I don't think it is, you know, said said Brent, who had written a book about lawyers and therefore knew everything about law. (laughs) Shut up, Brent, said Gret, standing up. (laughs) We'd better go and find her. Now, where would a murderer go? Probably... Where there's chips. (laughs) Quick, to the restaurant! But before Gret could eat a single chip, or even leave or move or think, there was a shout from behind him. Shitting heck, she's totally dead and shit, (laughs) said Tommy, pointing at the mangled corpse. Alison's bitten the big one. She's taken a one-way trip to Deadmonton. She's (laughs) bought a house in Deadinburgh. She's a permanent resident of Deadsylvania. She's 200% dead, dudes. Everyone gathered around to stare at the body of poor, timid, formerly alive Alison. Broken, crushed, bones snapped, just like all the others. You sat on her, (laughs) said Miss Stone, (laughs) pointing at Gret Binchley. (laughs) He sat on her, agreed Derek, pointing at Alison's body in the chair that Gret had just risen from. He must have sat on all the others as well, <laughs> said Daniel Tective, solving the case more effectively than Gret Binchleaf had ever been able to solve any case ever. <laughs> That's how they were completely and utterly flattened. It wasn't an alien weapon, 
It was Gret Binchleaf's arse! <laughs> Gret thought back over what he'd done since boarding the boat. Climbing up the gangplank had been exhausting, so the first thing he'd done was go for a sit-down in the passenger lounge. Then, after they'd found Jenny's flat, dead body, he went to look for Tommy, Danzy and Brent, but the lifts hadn't been working for some mysterious reason, so he had to take the stairs. He stopped off for a quick rest in a TV room, <laughs> and by the time he got to the tenth floor of the boat, he was wheezing and groaning like a TARDIS. <laughs> so he nipped into an open cabin for a quick sit-down on the edge of the bed until he got his breath back and could continue his mission. <laughs> Finally, he'd gone to the casino, where he had a quick sit-down and a plate of chips by the fruit machines before telling Rafe and Ken to meet him downstairs in five minutes. Gret looked at the remaining children and conscious adults. Right, it's about time I was heading home, actually. <laughs> heading home, said Rafe Dix. We're in the middle of the sea, you drongo. Yeah, but they're bound to have a lifeboat somewhere, aren't they? Good luck with the rest of your holiday, kids. Bye. <laughs> Gret Binchley picked up his two recently replenished suitcases of snacks and was gone. Yeah. Epilogue. 20 years later. Mm. Daniel poured himself a glass of Old Throat Grater's bourbon whiskey and leaned back in his chair. Just as he was about to light one of his particularly expensive cigars, the type he saved for those very special occasions when he was alone and wouldn't have to share, he saw a figure appear behind the frosted glass of his door. The silhouette seemed to read the words painted on the glass. Words which read, Daniel Tective, Detective, before raising a hand and knocking briskly. Come in said Daniel. The door swung open and a spotty man with glasses walked in. He had unkempt hair, a reasonably kempt moustache, and as he walked, the hard stab of wood against the floorboards told Daniel that one of the man's feet was made of wood. A one-footed man, the type of man who would probably like to grow another foot. <laughs> what can I do for you? asked Daniel Tective. Don't you recognise me? <laughs> said the man. I suppose it has been a long time. We went to school together. Not the school for gifted children. That's the one. I used to sit behind you in scientific studies. <laughs> Derek, what are you doing here? It's been 20 years. I've got some bad news. Oh no, who's died? Brent. Amy. Not Nigel. All of them. <laughs> what? We're the only ones left. They've all died, one by one, in suspicious circumstances. What do you mean, suspicious? Well, they said Paul committed suicide by crucifying herself. I asked how she got the last nail in, <laughs> and they said she must have used Jesus magic. Claire accidentally ate something used for killing pigs. Tommy choked to death on a live grenade. <laughs> Brent was writing his latest novel when he accidentally picked up his typewriter and used it to beat himself repeatedly around the back of the head. Miss Stone died of old age with a brick in her face. <laughs> Ken Parker suffocated under his own moustache. <laughs> Tom Haining went to sleep in his bath again. <laughs> this time he forgot to empty it of water and, and also had a breeze block tied to his head. <laughs> Amy became First Minister of Scotland, but then, on a diplomatic trip to Norway, she got murdered by Vikings. <laughs> Nigel was shot by a time traveller from the future because, apparently, he's the grandfather of a future genocidal dictator, which seemed very unlikely to me. And Marcus 
Marcus got a job counting polar bears in the Arctic. <laughs> and the person he was working with went insane and had <laughs> <and> his skeleton. <laughs> yeah. What about Rafe Dix? Derek's eyes lit up. Well, I suppose if you really want to, I suppose we could Rafe Dix. <laughs> If you, th- <laughs> if you think it will help us get over the deaths of all our childhood friends and teachers. I mean the bus driver. What happened to the bus driver, Rave Dix? Derek zipped up his trousers and put his <laughs> cheese grater back in his bag. <laughs> oh yeah, the bus driver, right. You remember how he thawed his own legs off on the boat? I remember. Didn't he win two and a half thousand legs? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he win two and a half thousand legs at roulette? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ferry company had to cut the legs off a lot of roulette bankers to make that payment. And apparently, the roulette bankers weren't too happy about it. They tracked Rafe Dix down and beat him to death with his own two and a half thousand <laughs> legs. I don't know how they found him. I guess they must have hired a detective. A detective like Gret Binchleaf. Exactly. So I want to find him and prove that he was behind all the deaths right from the beginning. Before he gets us as well. Yes, and finally get justice for my poor lost sweetheart, Jenny. Hmm. Daniel felt a feeling. It was confusion. (laughs) I thought you were in love with Nigel. No, oh, no, no, that was just a friendly arrangement to make sure neither of us was gay. We used to suck each other's gay venom out every <laughs> night, sometimes twice a night, you know, so that we wouldn't become gay. <laughs> Didn't you two get married the first weekend it became legal? <laughs> yeah, but that was just to make sure we couldn't get married to anyone else. You never know what those gays are going to do. <laughs> you legalise gay marriage and they start kidnapping you and forcing you to get married. Then they keep you in a sex dungeon with lots of other men and nothing to do but touch each other on the penis. (laughs) So Nigel and me thought we'd better get married to each other so that the gays couldn't do that to us. (laughs) And then we got our own sex dungeon (laughs) with a load of men in it. (laughs) Also as a preventative measure. You don't sound like a man who's... Still in love with a girl from school, (laughs) Daniel observed, detectively. I am. I'm a total obsessive weirdo, but in a straight way. Look, I've even been writing poetry about her. Do you want to hear some? (laughs) Uh, Not really. (laughs) Oh, Jenny, you... (laughs) Oh, Jenny, you are dead and flat. (laughs) But I remember before that, you had a face I would stare at. And also, lovely boobers. <laughs> oh, Jenny, if you were here now, I'd tell you just exactly how. You make my penis say meow. <laughs> you make my penis say meow because you're lovely boobers. <laughs> yeah, that's very convincingly straight, well done, said Daniel. I'm not gay. I can't be gay. I had all my gay venom sucked out every night for 20 years. <laughs> sometimes twice a night. Look, it doesn't matter whether you're a normal gay man who wants to avenge the murder of his long-term husband or a complete freak who can't forget a 14-year-old girl he fancied 20 years ago just because she had big boobs. It's definitely that second one. 
Whatever, Derek. The fact is, we have to crack this case before Gret Binchleaf gets to us. He's cunningly murdered everyone else who knew that he sat on five children, and he's not been caught. So we've got to assume he's pretty clever. <laughs> and everyone in that school was gifted, though he'd outthought a group of geniuses. <laughs> exactly. We're going to need our wits about us. He could come at us from any direction and in any form. We can't relax until he's caught and behind bars. Suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Come in, said Daniel. The door swung open to reveal a man in the familiar uniform of Daniel's favourite local restaurant, the Chicken Donut Shack. <laughs> I didn't order any chicken donuts, said Daniel, who loved chicken donuts but was trying to cut down. It's a special offer, said the large man, <laughs> putting a box of chicken donuts on the desk. For all the most valued customers of the Chicken Donut Shack, where I work. You can probably see that from my Chicken Donut Shack uniform. <laughs> the man was wearing a Chicken Donut Shack uniform, and while it was clearly several sizes too small for him, <laughs> Daniel supposed it must be difficult to find a uniform the right size for such an enormous man. It's a free box of Chicken Donuts with extra pork, said the delivery man. That's my favourite, said Daniel. I've always loved chicken and pork donuts, ever since I was a child. Oh, and does anyone want this box of meat cake? I bought it for myself, but it turns out I'm allergic to meat. Is it Kendall meat cake? <laughs> asked Derek. Full of sugar, full of energy, full of meat. I'll take it, said Derek. This was my favourite when I was a kid. I bought loads of it from Polly's bag shop and ate so much that beef came out of my nose. <laughs> I remember that, said Daniel. I became a vegetarian for eight years after I saw beef coming out of your nose. Well, enjoy your totally safe, meaty, sugary treats, said the delivery man. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, said Derek. <laughs> Goodbye, said Daniel. Bye-bye, <laughs> said Doctor Who, from his times in the future. <laughs> I just think... <laughs> Doctor Who, like he's yeah. more, you know, like he, in um, yeah. in the film where he's uh, he knows everyone's future and everything that ever happens. Yeah. He also has a sense that tells him when anyone's saying <laughs> goodbye ever, joins and he always joins in. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, bye bye, said Doctor Who from his TARDIS in the future. Oh. Anyway, as I was saying, said Daniel, as they tucked into their free snacks, we've got to be extra vigilant. Keep your eye open for any suspended pianos that might drop on your head, or out of control buses that might run you over or suspicious food that might be laced with poison. Mm. OK, Dandy, said Derek, his mouth full of Kendall meat cake. But what if we can't prove that Gret Binsleaf is guilty? Then he'll still come after us and get us to death. Then we'll have to kill him, just like we did with Sarah and Kara. Derek winced at the memory. They were the only two left now who knew what had happened on the boat after Gret Binsleaf had run away. Everyone had agreed that it was a real shame about all the dead kids, especially Carlos, who was both young and rich. But the real tragedy was that Gret Binchleaf hadn't sat on Cara and Sara, <laughs> who spent the whole journey on the top deck immobilising the lifts. <laughs> Consequently, the children and teachers took a vote and unanimously decided to throw Cara and Sara into the sea. Derek and Daniel had drawn the short straws and had to actually do it. Mm. The difficult part will be finding him. We don't even know if Gret Binchleaf was his real name. It sounds made up. Actually, I've got something to show you, said Derek, taking a newspaper from his bag. 
I think it might be relevant. Derek pointed at a circled advert on the back page of the local paper. Gret Binchleaf, private investigator for hire. Detective is my middle name. Not Marjorie, as some people have been suggesting recently. <laughs> Daniel dropped the newspaper onto the desk and picked up a second donut. Detective may be his middle name, but Detective is my whole name. He doesn't stand a chance. Shall we just go round and kill him then? said Derek, unwrapping another Kendall meat cake. It's probably easier than getting the police involved. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Daniel agreed. <laughs> but in a minute, I'm suddenly quite tired. Yeah, me too. Perhaps we should have a nap first. That's a good idea, said Daniel, resting his head on the desk. Then, as soon as we wake up, we'll go and kill Gret Binchleaf. Night, night, Dandy, said Derek. Good night. Derek, said Daniel. They rested their heads on the desk, closed their eyes, and slowly drifted away. The end. Little Howard dreamed of being a writer And so he sat to write every night But everything he wrote was fucking shite, yeah Woman never know, woman never know Worst writer in the world Worst writer in the world Well, that is it for another series of The Worst Writer in the World. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, you should be. We will be back Hooray, at I'm some happy. point later in the year with Story 3. And do you want to know what it's called, Howard? Oh, I would love to it's know It's got what an it's amazing called. title by young Howard. It's called Tardis's Five. <laughs> Tardis is five, and it is Tardis a Tardis is five, not the five Tardises. No, not the five Tardises. Tardis is five. Brilliant, and it is. In case you can't work it out for yourself, it is a Doctor Who story. Yeah, it is. So that will be coming at some point. When is it tomorrow? No, it's going to be it a, next it's year. Be, well, well, I mean, if you want to know, the yeah. first people to find out when it will happen will be our secret gang. Ooh. And the thing about the thing about that is, they don't even need to be waiting because they get new stuff almost every week. Oh my, yeah. All right. So if you want to continue to get great stories by us, including more Gret Binchleaf, really? this is the summer of Gret Binchleaf, exclusive to the secret gang then join up now and get just a ton of stuff yeah and to give you a taste of the sort of thing that you might get if you join here is a trailer for it welcome to rufus and howard's secret gang so mr flock you've been sent to me because of your uh let's say outlandish uh, theories and practices it's all part of a conspiracy you i got too that. close to the throne and now they want to have me shut down the problem is not that you got too close to the throne the problem is more that you think the queen is a gorilla where you can get the secret gang podcast and many other exclusive stories sketches and conversations so why don't we yeah. do a new podcast oh, okay. right? a, a, a spin-off with like mike no, no, no. What I'm thinking the is... The Fluck Adventure. Adventures of Fluck right. in Outer Space. No, you, you, oh, hello. <laughs> what am I doing in Outer Space? Oh, there's a rock. Including more stories and poems written by young Howard. When I was much younger, a boy of just 13, I, I watched... took outside my tallywhacker. <laughs> stuck it in ice cream. <laughs> no, I watched my dad put the puppies in a bag. <laughs> Then dump them in a stream. <laughs> I looked up at his smiley face. The tears flowed from my eyes. 
He told me not to be a girl and that everything dies. Yeah, if you put it in a <laughs> And characters from the Man by Cow podcast. The main problem with your TV, mate, no Dennis Quaid. Right. I'm going to stay here take over TV. And it's all going to be Dennis Quaid TV. Oh. I'm going to be in everything, right? Okay. It's going to be like Dennis Quaid daytime, Dennis Quaid breakfast TV, Dennis Quaid soap opera. Oh, look, there's Dennis Quaid getting married to Dennis Quaid and having a little baby Dennis Quaid because of time-travelling Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Later on, we've got some comedy with me, Dennis Quaid. Hi, blokes, it's me, Dennis Quaid. Here's a joke. Dennis Quaid walked into a bar with Dennis Quaid and Dennis Quaid said, why the Dennis Quaid face? As well as new characters. Oh, I like pictures. Yes, Are they well, pictures of big jobbly wimwams? Sometimes, yes. I like to babble them about, you know. And pibble them. Pibble them with my dangle dog. Exclusive Gret Binchleaf stories. As his eyes adjusted to the gloom, he realised that there was a humanoid figure lying on a bed made from ice. He was on his back, with his arms crossed over his chest, and from his thin, almost skeletal form, Nick thought he'd probably been dead for some time. His skin hung off his bones like a silk sheet draped over a skeleton. Captain Nick thought how fortunate it was <laughs> that his old college roommate, <laughs> Ohio wasn't there with him. Ohio had loved two things, combing his hair <laughs> and eating skeletons. All the extended Worst Writer episodes before they're publicly available. Um, equipment, you start with a sword. I'm a dog though, right? Yeah, well, okay. I don't know. Um, your name is Walking. <laughs> Woggy the doggy, Woggy the doggy, Woggy the doggy, okay. <laughs> and you've got a sword. <laughs> and episodes of the Man by Cow podcast up to a year before they're released. I'll tell you what, stick the TV on, take your mind off things. <laughs> Brilliant! It's the Boy Sell Duck Show. Oh, I hate that show. Why? It's hilarious, Ding Dong. It's not hilarious, Ding Dong. They're just doing our old material, but in stupid voices no one can understand. What are you talking about? That totally different. Oh really? Well, turn it up. Let's have a listen, shall we? Okay, we'll do. Uh, what? What are they saying? I don't know. Put the subtitles on. Hello, listener. It's Rupert here. Well, it's all been a bit hectic round here recently, what with Uncle Tobias crapping out that spaceship, and Harold's been trying to fit a massive piece of cheese up his bum. Oh no. I accidentally killed lots of dogs with a hammer. Sign up now and immediately download five Gret Binchleaf audiobooks, over 50 secret gang podcasts, 24 extended Worst Writer episodes, more than 100 videos, and much, much more. I've got a letter here from Greg. Yeah. And he says, hello, man by cows, sexual health podcast. Yeah. I have got a penis. <laughs> but, like, it's all, like, bent and stuff goes around in a big boomerangy shape yeah and um so in order to get it in women i have to approach him from the side go to manbycow.com now to see what you're missing getting all again in that same boat together all these men in the same boat that's nice isn't it all these men in this lovely boat what should we call the boat should we call it a bombing boat let's do that well what we're gonna do here i've got an idea